Well, if you would turn with me in your Bibles to Ecclesiastes chapter 11. I'm reading from the New King James Version. Ecclesiastes chapter 11 and the first six verses. This is the living and active word of our Lord. Cast your bread upon the waters, for you will find it after many days. Give a serving to seven and also to eight, for you do not know what evil will be on the earth. If the clouds are full of rain, they empty themselves upon the earth. And if a tree falls to the south or to the north in the place where the tree falls, there it shall lie. He who observes the wind will not sow, and he who regards the clouds will not reap. As you do not know what is the way of the wind or how the bones grow in the womb of her who is with child, so you do not know the works of God who makes everything. In the morning sow your seed, and in the evening do not withhold your hand, for you do not know which will prosper, either this or that, or whether both alike will be good. So far the reading of God's word, let's come before the Lord in prayer. Father, we do praise you, we thank you for what we have already heard from your word this evening and the singing of your praise. We thank you, God, that you are good. We thank you, as Elder Mann already mentioned, things that we don't know, and we come to uh, one of those passages this evening. And yet, even though there are things we don't know, know, and there would be application to our lives as your sons and your daughters, we ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Brothers and sisters of our Lord Jesus Christ, you may have noticed that I titled this sermon, Okay, But Do Something. And my reason for giving it that title is in chapter 9 of Ecclesiastes, verse 11, we have these words, I returned and saw under the sun that the race is not to the swift, nor the battle to the strong, nor bread to the wise, nor riches to men of understanding, nor favor to men of skill, but time and chance, and I, I really think that, that chance there is, at least in our American minds, that's uh, not the best translation. I think time and life's encounters is a better interpretation there, happen to them all. Which is to say, as one writer put it, providence is a mysterious thing. Why some things happen and others do not is beyond us. The cliche is, take control of your life. The truth is, that so much of our lives are outside of our control. In other words, as finite, limited creatures, there are things, there are events, there are outcomes in this life which we simply do not know how they will turn out. And in fact, sometimes the victory goes to the one that we would at least, at least expect it to. But as believers who rest their lives not upon what we assume, but upon a sovereign God who promises that all things work together for good, whether it's what we expect, whether it's what we hope, whether it's what we want for in this life or not, they still work together for good to those that love God and are called according to his purpose. Those same God-decreed limitations, though, should never be what paralyzes us to the point of inaction. But instead, knowing who God is and what he has clearly called us to do while resting and believing in him should cause us then to be those that take bold and yet wise actions as good 
citizens of his kingdom, which is the do something to the title that goes with the okay but. And with that as our general theme, then we'll consider these verses under the two headings, things we don't know and things we need to know. First then, when it comes to things that we do not know, at least as it pertains to this passage, you may have have noticed while I was reading it that the phrase, you do not know, or if you have the King James, thou knowest not, occurs several times. In verse 2, you do not know, God says, you do not know what evil will be upon the earth. In verse 5, you do not know what is the way of the wind, which I think a translation there is spirit. It's the Hebrew word ruach, which is spirit. You do not know what is the way of the spirit or how the bones grow in the womb of her that is with child. Then again, you do not know the works of God who makes everything. And then lastly, in verse 6, you do not know which will prosper, either this or that, or whether both alike will be good. In each one of those instances, then, we are reminded, just in case we forget, that there are those, there are those areas of life wherein our knowledge is limited at best, if not just altogether missing. We just don't know. We do not know what that is. Briefly then, when it comes to each one of those things mentioned in our passage that we do not know, the first is that we do not know the way that evil is upon the earth or will be upon the earth, as in no one knows with absolute certainty what someone else might do to them, let's say, by way of physical abuse. Can you, do you absolutely know that there's nobody who is going to do any, even, even try to, to physically harm you in any way. You don't know that. You might assume it. Us guys might think, let them try. <laughs> but you don't know, right? You don't know. Trust me, there's guys stronger than us. Um, we don't know if we might get robbed. You might think, well, of course we won't get robbed. That happens to other people. That's what everybody that got robbed thought, right? Um, we don't know that we might be a victim of somebody else's poor driving and get in an accident. Um, those type of things, generally speaking, we do not know those things. We do not know just how and when we are all going to die. We know that it's going to happen one of these days, right? Um, it might be sooner than we thought. It might be that we live to be a hundred or more than that. We do not know. Neither do we know the way of the spirit or how the bones grow in the body of a child in its mother's womb, which I believe is getting at how God takes both of those things, our body and our soul, and knits them together. And to be sure, we know something about that in the sense that given the marvels of modern medicine, modern technology, we certainly understand now more about what's going on physically in the development of a child in the womb of its mother than they did, say, back in Solomon's day. Right? How much did they really know back then? Not much compared to what we know now. And yet, even with our advanced understanding in those areas, in the end, we still have to face the fact that only God knows how it is that body and soul together make a living being. Right this second, I'm speaking in obvious terms here, right this second, here we all are. We're, we're all here, right? Body and soul together. Breathing creatures, living, breathing creatures made in God's image. All right, but then let's say suddenly 
I'll just use me in as example. Let's say suddenly my spirit leaves my body for his own purpose, for God's, God has the days of our lives numbered for, let's just say, for whatever reason, God knew from before creation that Chris Moulton on August 24th, 2023 at 525 p.m. you'll take your last breath. Okay, so I'm hoping that doesn't happen. My wife is hoping that doesn't happen. But in case it did, um, as soon as my soul or spirit left my body, what? What then? Well, then this body, this body would collapse on the floor. It would no longer be a body possessed with a soul or with a life. And of course, that same thing is true with everyone else. Body and soul together constitute life as we currently know it. But take away, again, I know I'm speaking in obvious terms here, but take away body or spirit. I'm sorry, take away soul or spirit from the body and we are left with an empty, dead corpse that might look, at least for a while, very much like the person did a few minutes ago, right? And so when it says you do not know the way of the spirit or how the bones grow, etc., again, even with our modern technological or medical advancements, there is still, indeed, much that we do not understand. And in fact, even the most brilliant scientist of 2023 cannot accurately explain how the knitting together of spirit and flesh brings life with the absence of spirit bringing death. But you know who does know? God knows every detail of that. He knows every bit of it, all of it. And that should be good enough for us to rest in, that God knows. Charles Bridges puts it this way, our wisdom is but a drop in the bucket, yes, a drop in the ocean. Can our drop compare with God's ocean? A bucket shall as soon take in the entire ocean as man take in or fully know the wisdom of God. So minuscule is our understanding of things compared to God. We, I know our, we all, myself included, we often make God too much like ourselves, right? Well, God knows about as much as we do. Is it, does it not floor you to think that there is not one thought that someone is thinking right now anywhere in the world that God is not fully aware of? Even to the, even to the core of what's motivating that thought? Not one. I mean, I, I only know one thought right now, mine. That's it, right? You only know one. God knows every one. Not an action, not a thought, not a word spoken. So, Again, much that God knows that we don't. And yet, as we're told in Deuteronomy 29, 29, the secret things belong to the Lord our God, but those things which are revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that we may do the words of this law. God gives us statements like that to give us peace. We can rest. We don't need to know it all. God does. Well, then we also have the statement from verse 6, reminding us that we do not know what efforts we put forth will prosper, or by way of implication, which ones will fail. Maybe going to that seminar, maybe going to that seminar your boss has been encouraging you to go to, will be, it, it will make you the salesman or the salesperson of the year. Maybe in the end, it'll be one of the best career choices you ever made. Then again, maybe it will be nothing but a complete waste of time. Maybe using that one tactic to help your struggling child finally understand math will work, and then maybe again, it would be like, why did I try that method? It doesn't, now the child's even more confused. 
before. Maybe switching jobs, maybe staying where you are, maybe, maybe pursuing that relationship, maybe not pursuing it, maybe, maybe deciding, yes, foster ch- fostering a child is a great idea. We have uh, a daughter and son-in-law in St. Louis area that recently began fostering a child, and that child's still doing pretty well considering her past, and they are moments. They're thinking, why did we do this, which sure many have but so again things we don't know all sorts of ways that that statement we don't know the outcome can be applied to our lives with the direct meaning being we we do not know before we act what will prosper what will then two there are also some indirect statements made along those same lines in our passage for instance in verses three and four we have two sovereignly controlled Sovereignly given and upheld by God laws of nature, the first being that when clouds are full of moisture, eventually they're going to let that moisture go. So in ancient Palestine, obviously they didn't have the weather channel, they didn't have pinpoint radar. Clouds were their most meaningful weather forecasting signals, especially dark ones, and especially if you were a farmer, since it meant that rain was likely to be on its way to water your crops. Still the same today. We see dark clouds coming over the mountains. Generally speaking, somewhere nearby is going to get rain. Then we're given another simple, sovereignly guided by law of nature. And that is when a tree falls to the north or to the south, which is simply a Hebrewism for everywhere, that same true, that same tree doesn't then get up and move itself, it doesn't hop back on the trunk, but instead it continues to lie where it fell. No exceptions. It's already happened billions of times over, and every time it continues to happen, guess what? Same thing. Tree falls, tree stays there, unless acted on by some outside force, a beaver or a human being that that carves it up, or gravity, it rolls downhill, or whatever. But so it's not that we do not know those things. We do know those things. But what we don't know is exactly when the clouds are going to release their moisture or exactly when the wind is going to blow a tree down. In other words, the results, once they become the results, are evident. But the cause leading up to those results is something we can't always gauge or know for certain. So then here's the point that we don't want to miss. Even with just those few relatively simple examples of things that we cannot know or do not know, comes this all-too-common response. Well, then, if I can't know for certain that this particular career path is what I want to do for the rest of my life, or if I can't know for sure that I'm following God's will when it comes to my life and what I'm doing now, to the house I'm going to buy, to the spouse I'm going to marry, to the business deal that I'm about to bid on, or the right school to go to, a hundred other of life's similar choices, well, then I'm just not going to move ahead. I'm either going to have all my ducks in a row, I'm going to, be about, I'm going to have to be about 98, maybe 99% certain, I really like 100% certain before I go forward, or forget it. I'm just not going to go. I'm just, I'm not interested. And I know for some of us, that hits home. For some of us, like, well, you know, my life is case or os or whatever happens, happens. But that's not for many. 
for many, at least in some area or another, we have to be pretty sure, not altogether certain. And so it's either that way or it's a lighter version of that, which leads to, again, sinful inactivity, which is why God gives us passages like this one that are designed to teach us that even though there is much concerning our futures that we do not know, our God who knows everything would still have us, listen, to be diligent, active citizens within his kingdom who are not paralyzed by things that are beyond us, but who move forward in faith wisely, wisely, placing one foot in front of the next, trusting God who sees and knows and will ultimately guide us to where he would have us to be, which is a good segue to our next point, things that we need to do. And so in Proverbs 22:13, we're told that the lazy person, there is a lazy person who cries out, there is a lion outside. I will be slain in the streets. Guess what? There is a lion in the streets. Somewhere. Somewhere there's a lion in the streets. If it's in India, there's a lion in the streets. Somewhere there's a bear in the streets. I just saw yesterday on the Colorado Springs News, there's a mountain lion rolling around. I didn't look where. It wasn't our neighborhood. But um, there's a lion in the streets. There's a bear. There's a wolf. There is a person bent on robbing or harming or deceiving someone. This morning in my email, I got an email from the U.S. Postal Service. We tried to deliver a package to your door, and it didn't have the right address. Please, and it looked so official. I gave them my address. And the very next, then, then you push. I did the address, and I pushed it. And the next thing was, give us your credit card information. And I said one, two, three, four, five, six. Seven. I didn't even do that. But uh, there's a lion. There's someone out to get you. That's the point I'm making, right? Somewhere. There is some, this side of glory, potential danger that we need to be aware of, that we need to do our best within reason to avoid. Does that mean that we never go outside? That we never get busy with what needs to be done? That we never take what could be considered by some a risk? Of course not. Again, that's much of what's being taught here. Back in verse 1, there we have a somewhat familiar statement a somewhat odd statement, I suppose one that you've pondered before and thought, what does that mean? Cast your bread upon the waters, for you will find it after many days. All right, so if you or I were to go up, let's say, to 11 Mile Reservoir tomorrow and take a piece of Wonder, I'll take a whole loaf of Wonder Bread and throw it out on the water, then what are we supposed to do? Wait. I'll tell you what will happen. Unless a duck comes along or something else, it just dissolves. Right? It just kind of breaks up into nothing and eventually sinks. And so, so obviously, soggy bread isn't what's in mind here. We took it at face value, it might be that. And yes, some have stated, you don't understand. They didn't have Wonder Bread back then. They had, it's like pita bread. Oh, okay. So let's take pita bread tomorrow and let's throw it out on 11 miles. And I can promise you it'll still be pretty much the same. It'll just take a little longer, but it'll still dissolve. So what does that phrase mean? Well, I came across five different interpretations of what that means. I'm sure there are more, but I'll just list these five. One is that we are to give alms, or in other words, give tithes and offerings. And if we do give them on a regular basis, then the Lord promises that we will get a good return in doing so. So that's one. The second interpretation that I came across, no particular order here, 
is that of sending out ships full of grain upon the waters, which was commonly done in Solomon's days when he reigned as king. In other words, it means to be zealous in, in trading business or just business in general. And again, it's likely that you will receive profit when your ship returns, so to speak. The third view I came across is that Solomon is teaching his readers here to do something senseless and paradoxically or ironically, it's going to end up good in the end. Fourth, and I'm serious about this one. You're going to say, no, you didn't come across. I did. It means giving, it, it's, it's that given the ancient method of beer production, the lesson has to do with, with the value of not only brewing beer, but also consuming it, especially when times are perilous. That's really somebody came up with that interpretation. I didn't. The other interpretation I came across was a purely gospel-oriented focus whereby casting bread upon the water is directly related to Christ, the bread of life, and how the water relates to our need to be cleansed. And I'm all in for gospel presentations, but I'm, I'm just I'm not convinced that that's what's in view here. And, and so which one of those is the correct interpretation? Personally, I think it's somewhat of a combination between the first two, getting a good return for the giving of our tithes and offerings since God does take note of a, and God does bless a cheerful giver. And I'm not talking like the health wealth people. If you give me a million dollars today, you'll get 10,000. I'm not talking about that, but God takes notice again of our giving. And, and so there's some application there. I also believe it has to do with, and primarily in my mind, it has to do with Solomon sending his ships out filled with grain, since even though, even though they did not all return with the goods that were equal to or better than what he sent them out with, in fact, some of them didn't return at all, right? These are primitive ships going out on the Mediterranean Sea without radar and, and those modern type of things we have. But still, all told, that was a, that was a good, somewhat risky, but wise business venture. In 1 Kings chapter 10, for example, we read that we read how Solomon had quite a navy of ships that would evidently leave port in or near Israel, probably near Tyre, and would head across the Mediterranean Sea, and then they would come back, according to 1 Kings 10, they would come back with gold and with silver and with ivory and with apes and with peacocks. And so none of those things would have been in Israel unless Solomon took some risks in sending his ships out in the first place, which he did, and for the most part, the gain was worth it. And there again, we have the main theme given at the beginning of our passage in that Solomon did not know. He did not know for certain the outcome of those ships. He did not know whether the, sinks would ship, the, the ships would sink in a storm, um, but he did something. Okay, but do something. You know, Solomon could say, ah, ships, they're pretty expensive. There's guys on those ships. I'm sending out grain on those ships. I'll probably lose it. Okay, but do something. Something that, was, that had potential, that was calculated, that was reasoned through. He didn't just send out any old ship. He didn't just put any old crew on the ship and say, well, go across there, see what you can find. But he weighed the possibilities there were risks, but overall it proved to be profitable. Now, when we read this passage, you may have noticed also that there are four imperatives. There are four commands in those six verses. 
beginning in verse 1, where we are commanded. It's a command. Uh, Notice that. In in the Hebrew, there is imperative commands. That's what it is. It's in that, that context. We are told by God, cast or send out. That's one command. In verse 2, we have the command given to us by God to give or divide our portion. In verse 6, we have the command to sow our seed in the morning. In other words, early while it's still appropriate. And in the evening, we are not, we're commanded not to withhold our hands from doing what is necessary. In other words, we are commanded to do what we're supposed to be supposed to do when is the be- when it's the best time to do it. And even though we don't know how it's all going to turn out, stop making excuses. Let's do it. Within those four commands then, we again have the same basic overall teaching, which is even though we don't always know the outcome, and you can say, wow, you're pressing that point home. Yes, because that's what God is pressing home in this. Even though you don't know, okay, but do something. Do what God's will says, as best as we know how as it is revealed to us. Speaking of which, in Matthew chapter 25, we have the parable of the talents. Maybe you thought, boy, this sounds kind of like the parable of the talents. I think so too. And so there we have the the parable of the talents where in three different servants were each given different amounts of money or goods that they were to be good stewards of until their master returned. The first servant had five to begin with and he ended with ten. When his master returned, the second servant was servant was given two talents and through industry and diligent effort, probably some risk taking, those two became four. And so upon their master's return, both of those servants received a well done, good and faithful servant enter into the joy of your Lord. However, the third servant buried his talent, giving his master an excuse, which I might paraphrase this this way. Well, you see, Lord. The thing is, I didn't know for sure if it would rain when I sowed my seed. And because I wasn't sure, you know, a tree could fall on my head. If I went out there in the field, there are trees out there. And there are wild beasts. And I could get harmed when I went out there. And I wasn't 100% certain what you really wanted me to do with that talent in the first place, since you didn't give me precise details of what I should and shouldn't do. And therefore, I decided the best thing to do is basically nothing. I just buried it. And here it is. You can have it back. Now listen, by all means, it is right, and it is most definitely God's will for us to be in His Word. It is God's will for us to pray, asking seeking to find what he wants us to do before we do it. If it's college choices, if it's career choices, if it's relationship choices, whatever it is, we should ask God to direct us, to provide others for us who would give us wise counsel. Speaking of which, it is um, good for us then to seek wise counsel, generally from someone older, more experienced than us. Why? Because they more experienced than us for that simple reason. But then because God's word, there's nowhere in God's word where, where it says things like, Chris Moulton, I want you to marry Carol. I want you to go, I've never found it. I want you to marry, I was looking for it. I want you to marry Carol. I want you to go to seminary. I want you to end up in Colorado Springs as a pastor. It never was one like that, right? And, and, and there's nothing like that, that, that 
add up to those things. But God does give us commands like we have here. Cast and give and sow and do not withhold your hand. Don't stop doing those things because you don't know with all certainty what the results will be. But trust me, move forward wisely and trust me. This is how David Gibson put it in his book, Living Life Backward. It's a great little small commentary on Ecclesiastes. He said, the preacher is telling us that a life that depends only on success for its vitality and has no space for the unpredictable or a life that shelters itself from the prospect of failure because it has space only for the predictable is a kind of being dead, which isn't really being alive. Life is gift, not gain. Give up your pursuit of profit. Seek to enjoy the things that God has given you for what they are. And as you do that, you will know some reward. If what you seek to do is control your life, to map it out and insulate yourself from all risk and failure, then what you've forgotten is that you cannot control what only God can control. You will never know the delight of doing something that can give you back a reward that you weren't expecting. Remember this, says the Apostle Paul, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. I like that way of putting it, and hopefully that resonates with all of us in one way or another because we are all guilty at times of, again, not acting out of fear, out of fear for what we don't know. And, and I'm sure, again, you know, this is one of those, because God's word applies to all of us, there's some application. Hopefully it resonates with some more than others. Um, I have a, a somewhat, I guess, disconnected family member and this person, to my knowledge, knows that they need to buy a new couch for their living room. And if you go in their living room, you say, you need a new couch. And they've known that for, I think, like 15 or 20 years. But you know why they don't get one? I just can't decide what color. And if I get the wrong color, now again, to some of us, I can tell by your laughing, like, really? Yeah, there's people that are like that. And maybe some of us are that way in some areas. And we all are in some ways, right? And we don't want to be foolish, but we want to do that wise moving ahead. One more thing before we close. And this is something, too, that we do need to do, that we do know, that we need to know and do. And that's to acknowledge God in all our ways, trusting believing that he loves us and he cares for us and he will continue to love and care for us because of who Jesus Christ is, because of who we trust. And I know this is somewhat off track from what we just went over, but not that long ago, I heard a teaching in which at some point in the teaching, the person referred to Revelation 20, where it talks about books, plural, books, and about a book, one book, singular, all being opened at the great white throne judgment with the books, plural, detailing every thought, word, and deed, again, that God completely knows and, and knows perfectly well, right? That anyone ever had, thought, word, or deed they ever had while on this earth, scary thought, from which... Many will be judged. 
But then for all who in this life trusted in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, seeking to live unto him with ongoing faith and repentance out of thankfulness for his mercy, having their names in the one book, in the book of life, means that everything written about them in the books was covered over. It was atoned for. Like it, like it was scratched out. It wasn't highlighted. It, it was erased. It was washed out by the blood of Christ. And so when their names came up and it was time to be judged by God, they stand as guiltless as God's redeemed children, ready to enter everlasting life for the joy that the Lord sets before us, which is right now unimaginable. And even though we've all heard that before, even though I've heard it before, I was blessed to hear it again and be reminded that, that even though I fail and you fail and we all fail in numerous ways, like failing to act because of the unknown or for fear, we can still know that God covers that sin and that he's forgiving and that he's patient. He's the epitome of patience. I don't know who's the most patient person you've ever... My grandma, she was the most patient woman. She doesn't. She touches the hem of the garment of the patience that God has for us. We need that. And he knows our weakness, and He loves us still in Christ. And He gives us His Word that we would live and grow by it. And may we do that to His glory. Amen. <clears throat> Let's come again before the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for Your Word. We thank you for every word found in it. We thank you for from the beginning of Genesis to the end of Revelation, what you have revealed to us. We thank you, Father, for those that have gone before, have diligently dug into your word, and, and many that are still doing that now. We thank you, Father, that we can stand on those shoulders and we can, can glean and we can understand and know what we are to know. Father, you know the many ways that we have been stopped by fear, fear of the unknown, fear of danger, fear of many things. We have failed to trust you. We have played the fool. But Father, we thank you that there is forgiveness for that. We ask God that we would not hear in this message that it doesn't matter what we do, that we are to do something, yes, but we are to do that wisely, seeking counsel, praying, looking to your word, so, Father, strengthen us to do that as well. Bless us throughout the rest of this week as we will have decisions to make and, and some will be clearly spelled out and others won't be. Thank you, Father, for the love that you continue to have for us in and through Christ. May we live in light of that love. We seek to obey you more and more. We ask this again in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat>